Hello there. This is another episode that's brought to you in part with support from an arts and culture grant from the city of Fort Myers. We sure are happy to be able to help highlight all the arts goodness that's coming out of our little corner of the world. Now, here is the show. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that gets people talking about themselves and their lives like there's no mic in front of them, using the way music binds itself to memories in a practically magical way. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Claire Lipperulo. Claire's a Southwest Florida-based singer, songwriter, guitarist, and violinist. When John Davis introduced her on our radio show, Gulf Coast Live, he described her vocal style as delivering a rich blend of sound that can move effortlessly between resounding power, soft soulfulness, and immersive tension. She's the front woman of the band The Free Coasters. In her solo performances, she blends a touch of their unique mix of southern soul and reggae with her roots in acoustic Americana. Claire has been recording, writing, and performing since she was 13. She's performed at Carnegie Hall, Supernova International Ska Festival, and has shared a stage with the Agrilites, the Slackers, the Toasters, and Eastern Standard Time, and will be touring Florida with the Sky Greats Mephiscopheles this summer. The Free Coasters just wrapped up their fourth tour and are about to release their second album called A Different Kind of Heat, which was produced by Jesse Wagner of the Agrilites, mixed and mastered by Roger Rivas, also of the Agrilites, and recorded by Caleb Neff at Juniper Recording in Cape Coral. Claire actually wound up in our song story chair today because Caleb Neff called her out at the end of his episode. That was number 59, and we're so happy he did. So here we go. How did I do on those name pronunciations? <laughs> you did your best. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, fix, we'll fix those in post. Uh, you know, I just was like, I'll just barrel through. We'll figure them out. Actually, maybe we'll just leave them broken. Who knows? Um, hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for doing this. Um, so you just got back from a, like a big tour, right? Like yeah. I went and looked at who, where you went, and you guys went a long way. Give us the breakdown. So we, we started in the Keys. We played a wedding um, one weekend, which is not usually a tour date, but, you know, we were on the road for the whole time. So we started in the Keys, and then we went up to Orlando, and then we had a couple dates in Texas, and then um, two in Colorado. We had two in Albuquerque, and then um, then we went over to, Cal- I think, California right after that. We played. We were there for about three days, and then we came back through Arizona and then back into Texas a couple days, and then... Came back home. Feels like a snap of the fingers, but... Well, no, not to me. Um, <laughs> do you guys generally go that far on a tour? I mean, that's for, for you know, a Southwest Florida band, that's that's moving a long way. Yeah, that's the longest one we've ever been on. Um, but we've gone, we've gone on, I guess you'd call them regional tours, and I guess you could still call this a regional tour because we went, you know, south, like the whole southern United States. Yeah. We didn't go up into northern California. It was all just southern... U.S., but it feels pretty national. <clears throat> but we've um, we've gone up to the Northeast probably th- I think three times. So this is our fourth, you know, bigger bigger tour. This is the biggest one we ever did. It was about three weeks long. How long have you guys been together? Um, five years, a little over five years now. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what was the musical background of your childhood, and where was that? Um, so not reggae or ska, (laughs) (laughs) which my band is, but so I grew up in Northport, Florida, which is about an hour north of here. I spent a lot of time in Venice because, um, Northport, when I grew up there, didn't have like a middle or high school. So we, um, we were like bussed out of town to Venice. And so most of my friends were, 
were up there and I got really involved in music <clears throat> at a really young age. And I'm really grateful that even for a little while we had like a music program in middle school because that's where I kind of started by um, playing violin when I was 11 years old. And, uh, so there was an orchestra in middle school, or was it just? It was strings class. So okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my like eleven year old brain thought, you know, oh my dad, you know, got me this Fender Mustang. It's an electric uh, guitar, and I was like really stoked to play it because I've been screwing around with his guitars since I was like three years old, and I'd be pulling them out from under the bed at six o'clock in the morning when all young kids wake up <laughs> yeah. to start their day, and I would just be like tapping on the strings, making like. Doctor Who sounds on the on the frets and like playing on the keyboards and stuff that we had at the house and finally when I was 11 you know he got he got that guitar for me and it was really exciting I just didn't know how to play it so I thought in a strings class you'd, you'd learn how to play guitar that seemed like a logical it has strings there yeah are, yeah exactly right? it seems like a logical leap but it's really just a class where everybody learns to play the violin and tune a violin and learn how to play like Three Blind Mice on a Violin. Right, right. All that, which was awesome. I remember the first time um, we were all getting to, like, touch the violins, and they were just, like, these magical, th- like, entities to me even. Like, the, they all had this beautiful wood, and the bow was enchanting. The, that you put rosin on a bow was interesting to me. And then the smell of them, the smell of the rosin, all of it, the whole experience. And then we learned how to tune mm-hmm. in, in orchestra tunes to an A. And um, once everybody got their A, like in the same, <laughs> the exact same note, everybody got it in tune. It was just like this totally like harmonic life-shifting, <laughs> amazing, otherworldly experience to me because we were all playing the same thing together and it sounded just so beautiful to me at the time. But yeah, that's I I think that's I've always been in love with music, but I think that was like the moment where I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I need more of this right now." <laughs> what uh what was being played around you um on the radio or whatever? What were your parents listening to? What was sort of what were you being immersed in in terms of music? Um anything 50s, 60s, 70s, rock and roll, soul, um doo-wop music, uh my parents listened to only the oldie stations when I was growing up. And I think, like, the latest music my parents would listen to was, like, Wings. Okay. Because they were, <laughs> they were like, major Paul McCartney fans. Right. And major Beatles fans. And um, Fleetwood Mac, I think, was another one that was, like, the latest that they would listen to. Or the Eagles. But um, anything from, like, Chuck Berry, Aretha Franklin, The Temptations... Um, Otis Redding, and anything from the 50s onward. Gotcha. So uh, guitar strings class mm-hmm. uh, in, in when you were 11. So how did you stick with the violin? I mean, do you still play it to, I did. till today? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's in my intro, thanks to yeah. Don Davis's intro. But so <laughs> create the arc between strings class, that guitar, and what you're playing today. So I just loved that there was even a moment of my school day that would be wrapped around music for 40 minutes at a time. And so whatever I needed to do to be in a class where I was devoting a part of the middle of my day to music, it didn't matter to me. And in violin, that moment like of, of the tuning mm-hmm. there, I fell in love with it then. So 
I wasn't upset that I wasn't playing guitar. And even when we got the option eventually to play guitar, I still stuck with violin in the class because I didn't have an interest in in um, classical guitar. Um, I think it's beautiful, but I really enjoyed playing violin. So I stuck with it from age 11 through um, to FGCU, actually. I was in the first chamber orchestra oh. here Where'd at you FGCU. you go to high school? Venice High. Oh, okay. Yeah, there used to be a little, like, plaque on the wall that had my name on it at, at um, Venice High. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been because back you were so it. awesome. Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, no. I my senior year, like I was in high school. As much music as I could get involved in, I was getting involved in it. So I I stayed in the orchestra, and then I joined a chamber orchestra group. I um, I took a guitar class, a keyboard class, and just stayed in orchestra through the whole experience. And then I was in two bands in high school. And just my life revolved around mostly music, but partly like the athletics and stuff I was doing. But um, yeah. What, what were the bands in high school? Do you remember oh, their God. names and what kind of music were you playing? <laughs> were you just covering stuff at that point? <clears throat> yeah, they were all they were all mostly covers, and um, I ended up getting kicked out of one of them <laughs> uh, my junior year, and so I was why. They said, <laughs> I think if if my like little petty teenagers still living in my brain, I'm I'm thinking that they said that I just didn't have time to devote to the band like I needed to. You were was, just phoning it in. You know, yeah, I was just going through the motions. I don't know, I don't know. They, I think they wanted to go a different direction, and I'm just not. Uh, I'm just not. I'm not the musician who's going to be like posing for a bunch of photographs and. And making it, you know, about being on a magazine cover because it's not what I really care about. It's always, to me, more about the music that we're writing. And so I just, I at that point, I continued on. And I, I think I was 16 then. And my best friend and I were like, you know what? Screw them. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna hit the road, and you're gonna get a gig. <laughs> you know, getting a gig was like a big deal. Yeah. We were. She drove me in her. Um, in her car because I didn't have a license. We drove to downtown Sarasota, and we walked up and down Main Street with me and my guitar, you know, just begging places. Can I just play a song for you? I really, you know, I really yeah. love to play That'll music. That'll be in the biopic someday, I right? just want to play anywhere. <laughs> and I had people, like, laugh at me <laughs> when, I was, when I would ask them that. There was one person. I'm not going to name the bar and throw, like, shade at them, but... I remember their name. And they, I walked into this bar downtown, and I was like, hey, so I really want to get a gig. <laughs> Will you let me play here? And she just laughed at me, and she goes, we would never let you play here. And I said, okay. Downtown where? Uh, Sarasota. Okay. <laughs> Sarasota. And um, I just turned around, and I walked out, and um, – I just kept walking up the street until I found this cafe that doesn't exist anymore called Cafe Caldi. And I walked in and the guy was like, we can't afford to pay you. <laughs> and I was right. like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I'll I just, pay you. <laughs> I just want to play. And so they started booking me and I just I started playing and, um, and booking shows on my own. And um, eventually those friends that kicked me out of the band were like, so great job getting these gigs and everything. By then their band had broken up. Right. And, you know. What was the name of your first like real band? Ugh. Like one that was playing out. I've been You've been in a lot of bands. <laughs> no, I mean I've been in a lot of almost bands. So like a lot of bands that started off really wanting to do a thing 
And then it never got off the ground because, you know, as you become an adult, you run into people who have substance abuse problems or you run into people who have, you know, just life problems like kids and and anything like that. And then it, if it doesn't feel like it's got enough momentum, it feels really easy for people to just sort of like flake off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I, the Free Coasters is the most serious band I've ever been in. I've practiced a lot with other bands. I've tried to form other bands, but just really nothing felt like it was worth gotcha. continuing on until then. Well, I've never seen the Free Coasters live, but all I hear is about is how great you guys are. Oh, so well, you know. well, one of these days I'll have to see uh, <laughs> see you play. So, um, okay, it's time for your first song or your first story. Okay. Um, what is it? Why is it? What's the story before, after? What are you going to do? Oh, gosh. Uh, in my mind, like you were going to tell me <laughs> nope. what was next. <laughs> that but, is your choice. You know what? Um Let's do let's do Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings. Let's listen to it and then I'll talk about it. Okay, I had that down as your uh, as your second song, but we can we, we're flexible here, right, Richard? Okay. Thank you, Richard. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. This is then uh, "Stranger to My Happiness," right? Yes. By Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings from their 2014 album "Give the People What They Want." Yes. No, I'm, I'm surprised that that's a 2014 song, like right out of the gates. <laughs> that sounds. I like, know. I mean, I grew up kind of like you did, Claire, listening yeah. to like my my youth soundtrack sounded like the second half of Back to the Future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. And the first, the very beginning of that song sounds so much like all of the oldies that I grew up on. That's uh-huh. crazy. I know. Uh, Daptone Records really does an incredible job of capturing capturing an era and authentically doing it in a non kitschy, ridiculous That's way. That's sincere. That's just yeah. Yeah, just it's totally. It. Yeah, straight up sincere. I love Sharon Jones. She's a like she's my idol. One of my idols. And I thought the first time I heard that song, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is an old song. Why have I never heard it before? Right. Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. What's the story that comes with it? So the I don't have a specific story around that song, um, but it's just it earmarks like a time in my life where I was reentering music. I had given up on it in my early 20s after I graduated from college because I thought, you know, I'd gained a bunch of weight after college or during college. And I thought, you know, the music industry doesn't need big women like it does not that it doesn't need big women, but that it it doesn't accept big women. Um, The entertainment industry doesn't have a place for a person who looks like me or. um, (laughs) I didn't think I'd get really emotional about that, but. It's all good. <laughs> we embrace emotions. That's not the part I thought I'd get emotional about. Um, but, God, like when you look at that music video and you watch her, she'd just gotten through, she'd gone through cancer treatment and she's bald. She has no eyelashes, no eyebrows, like. All of these things that like that women feel their own womanness, you know, like you feel like you can't 
as a female entertainer, you feel debilitated by not looking like you belong on a magazine cover somewhere just because you've never seen anyone who looks like you there. And it's not what, you know, I hate to say it, but society tells you you can do. And I was like, she is a bad bitch. And she is, like, shaking it on on that music video. She's, regardless of all of those things that have been stripped from her, regardless of living through cancer, she is wearing this, like, sequined dress and shaking her ass and owning the hell out of that microphone. She's staring into that camera like she owns you. And she does. Like, oh, my God. Like, she, I, I was just totally blown away by that. And I probably... Watch that music video like 20 times in a row. And I got really into the into Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Like I watched the documentary, Miss Sharon Jones, and um, learned more about her life and, and everything. And um, I remember when she died, I was like – I was on a date with my husband and I was walking down a pathway at this, you know, outdoor mall, you know, lifestyle center that we have in southwest Florida and I just was looking down at my phone and I was like, oh, my f-ing God, I just like broke down and I started crying because she died. And I like I never experienced that before. But with like celebrity of any kind. You know? No, I just looked up to her so much. And I, I wrote to her once, which is also something I've never done. Um, she's famous, but I guess not the level of famous where you can't find her real Facebook page and write her a message. (laughs) And uh, I didn't know at the time, this is just a couple weeks before she died, I didn't know that she was battling cancer again and that she was losing. And I wrote her this long message that I just said, thank you for being exactly who you are because you show people like me that we're allowed to take up space in, in a public sphere, that you're allowed to you know, use your talent in the public without looking like the public expects you to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just I want to be that person that that she was for me to somebody else. And so that's why I picked that. And also just the, the subject matter of the song, you've got me feeling like a stranger to my happiness. And yeah. I let the world make me feel like a stranger to my own happiness by not picking up my own guitar and singing for people. And I, I did one day, and I just kept picking it up after that. And that was, I mean, it was like eight years ago, I think. And then when I heard that song, I was like, hell yeah. Hmm. That's exactly, exactly how I feel. Not to mention, I just, I love the the soul music. So. Yeah, 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 that fat <laughs> saxophone. Mm-hmm. Um, so guitar, you know, you did all the violin-y stuff. So at what point did you learn the guitar well enough to, you know, be in a band? So I was learning simultaneously. I would go home and I would spend probably two hours a day practicing violin. And, um, and then I would start screwing around on my guitar and looking up tabs and stuff because the internet was a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, you know, that tells you how old I am, I guess. But I was well, like... Before that, you had to go buy a book or something. <laughs> yeah, which I did. You know, I think the book that, that I bought with my electric guitar was the Cranberries. Um, but I never really utilized it. My dad had, like, um, 
he had the Beatles anthology books. Yeah, yeah. Like the two, I think the two vol is it two volumes? I don't know, but um, they're I still have them at my house, and I would go through those and try to learn some of the Beatles songs, and then I was going online and looking up. I was obsessed with Hanson at the time, <laughs> and so um, when their second, well. I guess their second mainstream album came out this time around. I learned probably every freaking song on that album. And I was about 13, 14 years old at that time. And that's when I was learning how to play guitar and sing at the same time. And it right. probably wasn't great. Um, but and you were stretching your brain. and Oh, yeah. 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 And I was doing it and I started gigging when I was 16. So I just kept playing. And then I got into Ani DeFranco when I was like 17. <laughs> and then I learned how to do really cool stuff on guitar because I was learning her songs. Yeah. So you read her new book. You know, she's got a book. I know. <laughs> Another artist I, I might obsessively write to at some point in my life, but I have not read the book yet, but I've been listening to her nonstop on tour. Cause... And she's been doing a lot of interviews. She was mm-hmm. just on here and now the other day on NPR. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, so where does music fit into your life in terms of consuming it instead of making it? Oh man. Um, I I buy most music now at at record stores. So like vinyl? Yeah. Um because we've got a really great relationship with Marty who owns Beach Records. Um he's been such an amazing person to the band and, and so And you guys put out your albums on vinyl? Mhm. Yeah, we d- we put out the first one on vinyl and, and we're going to be putting be, the second yeah. one. Yeah. Um and I just I I love vinyl. I love listening to vinyl. It feels equally nostalgic and enjoyable yeah. in the now to me. I just love the sound of it, the smell of it, the feel of it, everything. And and I love that when, um, you know, I stream music on Spotify if I'm, like, not paying attention to it or if I don't already own the album. Um, but I like to have the record because – it forces you to be mindful of your experience it of the music. It creates a moment. Kind it of. does. Yeah, yeah. You have to flip the record. Right. You can't continue vacuuming your house or doing the dishes or whatever the hell else you were doing. You have to flip the record and be mindful of the music that's playing so you're more present in it. So when I want to appreciate an album, then I'm listening to it on vinyl usually. When's, uh, what was the last one you bought? Do you remember? I bought in Texas um, – I bought Daniel Romano's Modern Pressure because I love him. He's a, he's an incredible artist. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. He's like a he's a Canadian country western singer, and Modern Pressure is like, um, it's like a it's like like when Bob Dylan started using electric guitar mixed mm-hmm. with some of the psychedelia of the Beatles. Interesting. What's so, his name again? Daniel Romano. Hmm. He's killer. He's so good. I'll have to check them out. Yeah. Um, uh, back in the day when you were playing gigs, did you ever come down to Fort Myers and play Liquid Cafe? I did. <laughs> I worked there. Oh, you did? No I way. I was one of the people that ran that place for all those years. Do you so. remember um, a guy named Aib Diang? Oh, of course. Do you remember some event that happened down there like 15 years ago? He, used to, he did a couple of ensemble kind of events. Yeah. yeah. You were involved with one of those? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He invited me to play on one of those and... I know I very well. I haven't seen him in years, but I, I know him very well. <laughs> I haven't seen him probably since back then, to be honest, but I always remember him. We went and recorded some stuff together at one point. Um, but he was so, he was super nice to me and invited me to do that. But I came down here and, and checked out one of the open mics down there. It was the only one that I knew of at the time. And Fort Myers felt like a, like a real live city yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
growing up in Northport. Well, uh, Ayib, just for the listeners, he's a Senegalese percussionist who has played with the likes of, you know, Herbie Hancock and people like that. Yoko Ono. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Interesting crazy. cat. And you and you asked before the show about our theme song. So it was created by a guy named Dave 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 Cowan who ran the open mic at Liquid Cafe back from 99 to 2004. So oh, wow. Okay. You were probably, probably in his then, presence. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, um, Go to karaoke song or karaoke. Do you karaoke? I do karaoke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That was one of the reasons I started getting back into music, actually. There was, like, some karaoke competition. And I learned that uh, If It Makes You Happy by Sheryl Crow is a terrible karaoke song because there's, like, nine million years of instrumental break. Oh, right. Like a place in the middle <laughs> where you have to, like, go to the bathroom or something. <laughs> and you're just doing your best and you're, you're standing on stage with this microphone like a goober and you're like, <laughs> like, what do I do with my body? <laughs> you like the... But, <laughs> But uh, now, now um, my go-to karaoke song is if they ever if they have it, um, the Joss Stone vo- version of Super Duper Love. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. It's great. <laughs> it's a nice little soul tune. I think it's Sugar Billy originally. But oh, okay, um, all right, it is time for song number two. Song two, okay. Let's do. Uh, since I already started crying before, let's just, you know, keep the ball rolling. Right on. And uh, let's go with All My Lovin'. Ah, let me move my sheet over here. So, okay. Uh, do you want to tell a story? you want to listen and cry? Uh, <laughs> so I'll tell the story first so I can get the words out, I guess. Uh, so my dad died about five years ago, and um, it was a very turbulent experience a very difficult thing to go through the circumstances around it were were um stuff that they make movies about i feel like um he hadn't gone to my wedding and i was really angry at him and um two months later he died and i didn't know how sick he was none of us really did because my dad was kind of a person who just wouldn't reach out and he was really difficult um, to keep a relationship with. And I know all of us kids, all of his, all of the siblings loved him and he was a brilliant man and he was a musician and um, he was amazing in so many ways, but he really struggled with depression and, um, and some other some other demons, and he was a Vietnam veteran, and, you know, vets come home, like, I was thinking on Memorial Day, like, we're talking about veterans who come home, like, who don't come home, you know? That's what Memorial Day is, but it's like, so many veterans still don't come home. And I feel like in some ways my dad was that veteran. And um, I didn't know any different. But um, all the siblings got together. And I've got two half-siblings that live in upstate New York. And um, they came down for the funeral. And, like, it was just the family. And he had to be cremated. But his his, um, remains weren't ready yet. And uh, we're sitting in this funeral home with 
without my dad even physically present in the urn. It's just sitting there empty. And um, we've got these photo albums that we want to go through. And um, I'm like, this is just too silent because a, a pastor comes in that we don't even know to do mm. to do the service. And it just feels like so impersonal. And these two um, – National Guardsmen come in and shoot their blanks inside of this funeral home, and it's just like this shocking sound, and then nothing. And we're sitting there like, what What the hell do we do with ourselves? And uh, I was just like, I got to put some music on or something. So I was like, I, I put on the Beatles station on my Pandora, and I was like, I just eat something that feels like my dad in a good way, and... All my loving came on, and my brother Jason looked at me, and he's like, "Yeah, this is perfect." So. All my loving, what was his name? My dad's name is David. Yeah, was he a Beatles fan? Oh yeah. Did he play the Beatles? You said he he was a musician. Yeah, he did, and I struggled. Like I knew I had to pick a song that meant something, you know to me you know and felt like a connection to my dad because it was such a powerful experience um the other song I was going to pick if it wasn't all my loving was um across the universe because I remember I was like seven years old and I was sitting on the end of the bed in his room and he was playing guitar for me and playing a song and he had a terrible voice (laughs) he had a horrible horrible voice but he still tried (laughs) and uh he was a guitar player and a bass player and I cried when he played me that song even though he couldn't sing because it was just it just felt like such a beautiful song it is a beautiful song and um so many, so many connections to music are because of my dad, and so I had to, I had to call him out today. I had to, I had to, you know, relive a little bit of that today because I owe him a lot. I owe him my whole start with music. I owe him my love for music. I owe him like how many kids get to grow up with like six or seven guitars in their house and keyboards laying around and like. And any of that. So regardless of, like, anything else that we live through, I have that, and I'm really grateful, very, very grateful for the accessibility I had with music in my life, just just to be able to have it. So many kids don't grow up with that when they they live in, in a difficult home or they live in a difficult uh, situation they don't have anywhere to put those feelings and I had a place yeah so I feel really lucky what about you do you play that song or do you play across the universe no I don't <laughs> I don't um I do play some Beatles songs um I play uh and now I'm having like a brain fracture. <laughs> what songs? I do. Uh, one of my favorite Beatles songs is For No One. I love that song. And so I added that to my set and I do that boy. You know, um, I'll do that song sometimes. Um, I don't do a ton of Beatles songs because I just love them so much. Right. I just want to enjoy them. Right. 
rather than like I think when you learn a song, sometimes it's like you, not that you own the song, but it's like you use the song. Yeah, it becomes you, a tool. Sort yeah, of. especially in your case, if you're playing it for people, you know. Yeah. You, yeah, it becomes a little weapon in your quiver. Yeah, so I just I like to keep it. I like to keep most of those Beatles songs for what I enjoy. I enjoy the experiences and the memories I have with them, and that's for now. That's how I like to keep it. Yeah, well, I gotcha. Um, let's talk about live music that yeah. you have seen, not that you've performed. Do you have a peak live music experience that that leaps to mind? Um, most most live experiences revolve around shows that I've played in. Um, so you're like one of the. Acts uh, yeah. in, a, in a broader set list. Yeah. Than, yeah. So, I mean, one that I was not a part of at all playing, I got to see Little Richard when I was 13, and that was amazing. Wow. Where was that? At the Van Wazel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, he's ridiculous. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, I never got to see him, but he seems like he would be ridiculous. Holy crap, is he ridiculous. He was... And I always remember he was uh, talking about the shoe polish he had put in his hair because it was, like, melting down his face <laughs> as he played. Um, but the one of the best live moments that I ever had, I got to be a part of by surprise. I don't know if that, yeah. if that counts. Yeah, okay. well, yeah. So um, we were – my band was really fortunate to be asked to play at Supernova International Ska Festival – with a bunch of other incredible, incredible ska bands from all over the world. Um, like people came from England, people came from Jamaica, people came from California, New York, literally everywhere and descended upon Fredericksburg, Virginia, mm. <laughs> and um, had this two-day ska festival. And Jesse Wagner from the Agrolites, he produced our first album and our second album, but this was before the second album. And so we hadn't seen him in about a year and a half, two years. And so we were just stoked to to hang out and get to catch up with him a bit. And um, that night he asked me to come up and sing, um, sing Don't Let Me Down because the Agro Lights cover Don't Let Me Down. They do like an agro reggae version huh. of it. And it's like they, everybody knows they do this song. And yeah. so he was going to invite me up to sing. And I was like, oh, shit. So I, like, run out to the van and I, like, cram the song for a second because they do it differently than me and my band do. Ah, uh, yeah. And cram their version of it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so I listen to it real quick and I'm I'm hopping up backstage and I'm, like, ready to go. And then he's like, I'm losing my voice. Uh, you got to sing the song. The whole thing. The whole thing. You're it. <laughs> so, uh, like, there's – it felt like a couple thousand people were still there. And Greg Lee from Hepcat was on stage. And the Agrolites were there. Obviously, they were the headliners that night. And um, I think some of the pie tasters were, were there too. But I was just kind of like – uh, tunnel vision for a minute, yeah, like, yeah. like holy shit, okay, this is gonna happen. And then I, I get up there, and I'm that like they're they're literally starting the song, and he's telling me that I'm gonna be singing the whole song, and I'm like, you just like step up, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I grab the microphone and I just start singing the song, and I'm like, he, I just I do the thing, and I'm like looking over, and like Greg Lee is on my left, and the Agrolites are are. I'm I'm singing with them playing. I'm just like, what the hell is my life right now? What's happening? I didn't ask for it. I didn't know it was going to happen. It was just like, 
It was crazy, but it was amazing. How'd you do? I think I did all right. I think I did all right. <laughs> Maybe not the best time I ever sang that song, but um, I think I did great, and I had a great time. And I think everybody else did, too. I hope they did. So, <laughs> But it was a really amazing experience I'll never forget. So, hmm. uh, Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you'll sing for us? Yes. I don't know the whole thing, but I always <laughs> – I sing this song sometimes whenever anything good happens with the band. I'll, like, go to my bandmates and I'll be like, move it on up <laughs> to the east side. <laughs> to the deluxe. <laughs> to a deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not even going to sing along because that's so good. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's so good. Um, uh, uh, Are there any modern mainstream bands that you're a fan of? Everything that you've mentioned so far is either old or things I've never heard of. So, well, I don't know. There's probably mainstream bands I haven't heard of because I'm so disconnected. But you know what I mean? Something that's right there in the culture. Modern. (laughs) I'm stuck on the modern. Modern mainstream. And if not, then, then, you know, then not. Um... Man, I don't even know, to be honest, because maybe the most – and he's not even really that mainstream, but I think he will be um, Jason Isbell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like don't know, him. Yeah, I don't know if he's considered mainstream yet, but I think I think he definitely will be soon. He uh, uh, he was my daughter's first concert at Barber B. Man oh. when he came here like two years ago or whatever. I got tickets like second row, right up front. She'd never been to a real concert before. His wife was there playing fiddle. Of course. And, oh, my God. And I didn't know Beautiful. it was his wife at first. And they kept like making eyes at each other. And I was like, this is kind of weird. And then he introduced that it was his wife. Yeah. And, oh, man. <laughs> You're like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy's a, a force of nature. That's absolutely What ridiculous. a songwriter. Like we listen to him in the van sometimes and we're just like, uncovering all these layers of songwriting that are like there's like one slight biblical reference in a street name and then you know talk about angel wings and then you realize that he's talking about the moment that Jesus knew he would be betrayed and that he's referring to like this moment in the song I forget the name of the song but we were just like holy crap like there's so many like yeah, I had never heard of so him, deep. and I heard him interviewed on NPR because his that album was coming out, and so I went out and got it and listened to it, and I was just like, my first thought was, he sold his soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he, he he made a deal at the crossroads to be a songwriter this good because that's how good he is. So yeah, anyway. I think he's just been through a lot of shit and when you live a heavy life, like yeah. you just got a lot of. He's got some deep wells to pull from. Yeah, that sure seems like it to me. Um, Okay, it's time for your third song. Oh, boy. So uh, this song, I wanted to end it on a really positive note. uh, So that's why I had to do the other song before this. But um, this song is I'm Still in Love by Alton Ellis. And I chose this song because, well, you just listen to it, I guess, and then, well, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it first. Okay, talk about okay, it. Okay, because um, so at that festival, that same festival, it was that same night that I that I got up on stage um, with with the Agrilates and 
I'm coming back to the hotel where all of the artists are staying at the same hotel, which is either a really big uh, mistake or a really great plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like whenever Could go either way. <laughs> exactly. And it, Ska is like such an intimate scene around the entire world that I feel like a lot of people know each other and know of each other. So it's people kind of networking and talking and hanging out. People haven't seen each other in a long time. And we were new to the scene. Like we we didn't hardly know anybody um, except for Jesse and a couple members of some other bands. And um, we're just hanging out and everyone's, you know, doing their thing. Everyone's partying and, and all that. And I end up in the hotel room. There's probably like 40 people in that that uh, section, that party section, because, you know, right. there's parties going on all over the Absolutely. hotel. Absolutely. So in that uh, cell of I'm the envisioning, party. <laughs> have you seen Almost Famous? Yeah, yeah. I'm envisioning, like, that that whole scene where they all show up at the same hotel. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very close to how it was like. And um, so I'd come in from outside, and there's, like, 20 people in the actual room. And I'm just sitting on the edge of the bed, and there's two agri-lights there. Um, I think it was... I think it was Ricky and, and Alex, the um, rhythm guitar and the, and the drummer, I believe. And so they're like, what, what's, what other songs do you know? And so we're like, oh, it's going to be one of these moments where we're having a kumbaya at a ska party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I really love Alton Ellis. I love I'm Still in Love. And my band had stopped playing that song for whatever reason. And it's like, I haven't done this song in a while. Let's do that. And so I just started singing it. And then, like, everyone knows the song because it's a classic and everyone's kind of like, you know, their heads turn and they're listening in. And then, they, like, all of the other artists in the room start harmonizing. And it was probably, like, 15, 20 people singing along from all over the world, like, all singing this one song together. And it was just like that that violin on the A moment again for me. And then another guy starts doing some chatting over it, which is, like, this, like, patois, like, hip-hop kind of Thing. And um, and then we go back into the I'm still in love, and it's just like this one wonderful moment of oneness, like course through the room, and it was just so beautiful and reminded me like this is exactly where I need to be. This is exactly what I should be doing with my life, and uh, is just very affirming and wonderful. So I'm still in love, Alton Ellis. All right, uh, from his 1967 album, Alton Ellis sings rock and roll. great scene you said i could see it in my head oh <laughs> so were you were you singing like the lead kind of the whole time i mean were yeah, you, yeah for the most part yeah yeah i was but i i love just like i was sitting here harmonizing with it well i know and that's what helped me with, with the scene setting because you were talking about the harmonizing and i'm like oh look it's like what you're doing now here oh yeah <laughs> i i love that song i think it's just such a great classic and i I would have gladly given it over to somebody yeah. to just to, just to sing harmony. I love harmonizing with people. I'll just do it with myself even <laughs> sometimes. But, I, I, yeah, I just – it was a really great night. And I got to I gotta give a shout-out to Supernova for um, – they brought so many people together, just fans and artists. And, like, you're literally walking around this festival with – all these artists that you like grew up listening to just available yeah right there talking to you saying hello to you like real human beings and it was just like 
it, I think it fed the ska scene a lot for that to exist. I, I think they might be doing it again next year. I know they're taking a break this year, but um, it's just like the most camaraderie I've ever felt. So Tim and April receiver, thank you guys for doing that. Um, do Free Coasters play that song? Um, we did. Uh, we don't right now. Um, it's not currently in our set list, but I do it at my my solo gigs. Cause what about, and you mentioned this kind of as an offhand thing, but how about a ska version of Kumbaya? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe like a two-tone ska version would be cool. <laughs> Just get, get people skanking around the fire pit. <laughs> Give a, a new definition to the circle pit. <laughs> That would uh, be a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, yeah, it'd be something. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite band? Ah, uh, I think you know. I've I've listened to a few episodes, and I was like, "Don't say the Beatles," because everybody says the Beatles. But if I have to pick a favorite that I always love listening to, no matter what, it's always the Beatles. Always. Um, if there's someone right now. Um, current Daniel Romano is probably my favorite right now. And that was the person who you bought the vinyl in mm-hmm. Texas? Yes. Okay. Um, what about album that's sort of the one you've spent the most time with in your life? It would probably be I've spent a lot of time with To the Teeth by Ani DeFranco. Spent a lot of time with that album because I was listening to it like post high school, like just getting into college, just getting out of 12 years of people telling you what your opinions are and figuring yourself out. And I was really angry. <laughs> I was an angry girl <laughs> as a as a late teenager, early 20s. You could probably talk to some people who will confirm that. But <laughs> um, I listened to that album a lot. Like the first track on that album is called To the Teeth and it's about um, it's about uh, guns in the United States and it was out of the wake of Columbine and a lot of anger in that track and just listening to that whole album was really beautiful. There's so many great Ani DeFranco songs but I spent probably the (laughs) They're very contrasting, but I spent a lot of time with Ani DeFranco, and I spent a lot of time with Hanson, like, <laughs> like a lot, <laughs> because I, you know, that is such an odd combination. It really is, but you know, Hanson had. I got into them when I was like twelve, you know. Right, so they sort of had some weird legacy connection to you. And, yeah, you know. and I loved the idea that they were playing their own instruments, and I loved that they were writing their own songs. Those were all things that I wanted to do. And I loved that their influences were exactly the same as mine. And I was in an environment where, you know, I liked a lot of the grunge music and stuff, but, like, I didn't know modern music until, like, I got into middle school. So it was all so new to me that right. that ha- it felt like we saw eye to eye as far as influences. So, and, you know. What would your uh, 14 or 15-year-old-ish self uh, think of Claire today? <laughs> I think I think she would think, like, what were you thinking? Uh, also, um, like, holy sh- 
ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I never thought you'd do those things, but I'm really glad you did, maybe. I don't know if I would have been wise enough to say that at the time, but, like, damn, girl. <laughs> Great job, I think. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and last question. Uh, songs you will always avoid listening to? Are there any of those? Um, any of the top ten wedding songs that a DJ selects, like the electric slide or okay. any any of that. I I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> any like the uh, YMCA, any of that. Just the overplayed crowd music kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Anything that's just – and in general, I think anything that the chorus is just one word repeated like 36 times, I don't need any of that in my life. I don't need that kind of negativity. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, um, um, before you play uh, us out with a parting tune, um, give us uh, three t- targets for this show. So I, you know, because Caleb uh, brought my name up, I was like, well, what if they ask me? I was like, I'm going to ask these these people. There's only one person I didn't ask, and that's my friend Frankie Colt. Have you had her on yet? I don't think you no, have. No, no, and I sent her an email a while yeah, back. Yeah, we know Frankie. Girl? I We sent her an email, if you're listening. Answer that email. <laughs> so I'm trying to do what I can. I mean, this was like a Cole year because ago. Because I have, like, emailed her. I've Facebook messaged her. So this is Tara Callaghan calling out Frankie Colt. <laughs> and with Mike and with Richard because what the heck. I'll, I'll, you know, sleep on her lawn and just wake up and be like, Frankie, I'm not leaving your lawn until you get on this three-song story show. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then also my bandmate, John Schiller. He's our bass player, band leader, uh, chauffeur, all those things. Um, <laughs> he's going to love that I called him a chauffeur. It's going to be his favorite thing that I just called him we'll, uh, Once we have him on, we'll, I'll put that in his bio. Yeah, make sure you <laughs> supply him with a hat, too, because he doesn't have the proper chauffeur hat. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've learned a lot from John, and like I, he's also um, – Mark Davis is a good friend of ours, too, and, like, the vast musical knowledge that Mark has, like, just expect the same thing. And if you could do, like, a two-hour episode to, <laughs> to contain all the talking we'll about. take a break in the middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but John would be a great – He, I think people would really enjoy hearing what he has to say about music and what songs mean something to him. And then the one I asked for permission for um, is Jesse Wagner. He's not local. He's the guy that produced our album. He's the front man for the Agrolites. They're on tour right now. They just released a new album called Reggae Now. And he's just like one of the coolest, most genuine, decent human beings that I've ever met. Like aside from being that, he's just the just incredibly talented musician with incredible musical knowledge and if you ask him about about any tv show theme song he's going to know every single one of so them I'll, when we have him on we'll ask for a certain one and challenge him yeah you, that might be a good tv idea. theme songs that's uh <laughs> that yeah. might be a make good, a note he might be mad about and you said you asked him already did yeah, he, did he, he seem like he's cool down oh, we, should yeah. do, we should do name that too like yeah, a play name that play like two seconds of it well that's great because we've just started doing some remote recordings i mean that's a that thing now awesome. so whether or not he's here or there we might be able to like work that out for real yeah that would be amazing he totally said he's down so i would love to hear that love to hear those stories all right uh, uh it's time for the parting tune we make 
Three Song Stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This is Claire Liparulo. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening.
three song stories. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're my friend. That's it.